Jesus, we love you, and we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to be here tonight. God, I'm so thankful for each and every one of these beautiful ladies that's here. I thank you that each face holds a story, God, that each heart here um, holds a purpose within them. And I pray tonight, Father, that as we dig into your word, that you would unravel your calling for us, that you would unravel your purpose for us, and that you would unlock your voice to us, that we would find out more about who you are <clears throat> and who you created us to be. And so, God, we just ask you to come and have your way tonight in this place. We invite you to lead this time, to speak to us, encourage us, and to lift us up out of places that feel dark or burdened or lonely or overwhelmed. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here in our midst, that you would be the spirit of truth and peace and love over our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Alex is going to play a song for us. It's called Extravagant, and you may or may not know the words, but it's just kind of a beautiful song of love and how Jesus pours his love over us. So if you are not familiar with the words, I just invite you to close your eyes and let them wash over you, and hopefully it can minister to you tonight, okay? Go ahead, Alex. So again, I just want to say thank you so much, you guys, for coming. Um, I want to remind you that this is an open and safe place for us to have questions, to share comments, to share insight, to say, whoa, I'm struggling with that. Okay, that, what is that? What does that even mean? Because um, we are all on a journey, and all of our journeys look extraordinarily different than the next person. And I also just want to communicate that your opinion, your background, your insight is really valuable because you're going to understand something that I'm not going to understand. And you're going to see something that I never even would have thought to see. And so if you continue to come, which I hope you do, um, I want you to be encouraged to interact and to enjoy this journey with me because... Um, it's a joy to teach the Bible, but I do not know it all. <laughs> Far from it. And we can all learn from each other. I don't want my voice to be the only voice in the room that you learn from when you come. So hopefully you learn from God most. And I'm currently wrestling because it was on, but asleep, and then I turned it off. <laughs> and now I'm trying to turn it back on. So um, let me start by telling you a little bit about why we're here tonight, how this class came about. So I just completed a Bible school online with YWAM, which is called Youth of the Mission. And it was something I did during COVID, something that I could do while I was in quarantine and trying to figure out, okay, what's going on in the world and what should I do? And um, from there came this opportunity to study the Bible in a deep way. And it took me nine months to do the school. And we, did, we read the whole Bible and we did a really deep study on 16 books of the Bible. So it was one from every genre or um, subgenre. And it was extraordinary. I will be the first to admit I never read the whole Bible before in my life. <laughs> and so doing the school was an, an incredible eye-opening experience where I was able to learn and um, things that I never thought I would, I didn't even know about the Bible. And so I'm so excited to do that with you guys and to share those things and to encourage you because that this book is so cute and well it's not so cute it's pretty hefty actually um so it's actually it's the opposite of cute it's pretty intimidating it's like something you could whack an intruder with like funk <laughs> i'd probably do the trick but <laughs> um 
it, it's kind of unassuming though on a shelf, right? It doesn't seem like it packs a punch quite literally or figuratively, but as we start to go in depth with it, more and more is revealed, not just about the people in the Bible, but about the author of the Bible, God. And so I'm struggling that my computer's not opening. It has all my notes on it. Um, Angel or Jen, could you go in the office? I have the notes saved on the computer. Could you print them? Thank you. It's titled Class One. This? Oh, I'm sorry. This is the ESV Study Bible. So she's pretty thick. Thick with two C's. <laughs> okay. Um, well, while we're getting started, um, you have two papers with you. One is our notes tonight. You do not have to use them if you don't want to. You're more than welcome to doodle all over them, color them, take notes, whatever. I won't be offended whatsoever. You could throw them away. That's okay. Um, and then the second thing you have is the syllabus. And the syllabus is going to just give you an idea, roughly. Um, ideally, that's what it's going to look like. But if we want to, like shimmy into one of these things a little more like if we start out with observation and you guys say I don't want to move on yet like I don't even get this what is this and how do I do it and how do I apply it like slow down girl we can spend two weeks on it that's not a big deal um, interpretation application any of those things that make you go uh, what is even happening like we can take time and work through it um, no problem. And then you'll see the last three weeks, we have an option of either doing a Bible overview or more of the process, but for a different book. Um, so any questions so far or any comments or concerns? Okay. You guys are so nice to look at. This is killing me. Dear Jesus, give me my computer. <laughs> It's funny. I'll tell you a funny story. So I teach online as well. And I taught yesterday online and my internet went out in the middle of my teaching. And I was like, are you kidding me? And so I drove here. And when I got here, the internet was out. And I was like, no way. I was like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> so eventually the internet came back on and it all worked out. I think my computer is frozen. Okay, hold on. Oh. Okay. Also, last thing to mention, with the recommended resources, you're welcome to any of those things, but they're not required. Um, they're very helpful when we get into interpretation, um, but they're not necessary because the goal is to learn everything we can from the Bible, like literally from the Bible, which is crazy because I didn't even know you could do that. Like there were some questions when we studied the book of Acts. Thank you so much. When we studied the book of Acts, they were like, okay, who wrote the book and when? And you can find all of that like in the first chapter. Like it says, this is who wrote it and this is when they wrote it. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So, okay, we're really ready now. <sighs> okay, so if you are gonna follow along in the notes, I will prompt you by saying in your notes uh, and it will be really handy and easy. And so hopefully I won't fail to um, give you the cues for your notes, but I talked about the reason behind this course, but our goal for this course is threefold. 
And number one, it starts with discovering God's word. So the goal, first of all, is to discover it. So my homegirls here in the back that are like, I don't know, what's this? Like, perfect. Goal number one is to open it up and like check it out and see what's in it and who is it about and who is it written to and what is going on in here? What, how does this apply to us? Like, why? Why now? Is it still relevant? All that stuff. That's our goal number one is to discover God's word. And our second goal is to find a lifelong love of God's word. So ideally, when we come to the word, we wouldn't just peer into it and go, what's in there? (laughs) You know, but we would peer in and we would fall in love with it. We'd fall in love with the creator by reading it. So developing a lifelong love of God's word is our second goal. And our third one, based on having discovered it and having grown in this love with it, is that we would experience a transformed life by the knowledge of God and his word. Right? The goal is that I used I used to have a little tiny Bible I used to carry with me all the time, much tinier than this, but it was cute and handheld, and I wrote on the front of it uh, my mirror, because I heard a speaker say once that the Bible should be like a mirror, that when we look into it, we can see ourselves, right? That ideally, the, the principles of Scripture, the, the commands of God, that we could see that in our life, and so that when we look at the Word, we go, okay. I'm doing that. Okay, I'm walking with Jesus. Okay, I'm loving the Lord. Okay, I'm loving people. Okay, I'm, I'm being kind. I'm being patient. So ideally, this would become our mirror, that we would be transformed by reading it so we would look like it. And let's be honest, we don't look like it right now. <laughs> some days we look we look a lot like it, and then some days it's like, whoo, okay, I was not very patient at all. I, that was really selfish. That was not, okay. You know, and so we're just real, and we're like, okay, well, tomorrow's the next day. Tomorrow's a new day, God. Give me new mercy, new grace. Help me look more like you. And he does. So those are our three goals, to discover him, to develop a love for him, and to be transformed by him through the word. So um, I went over some of the expectations, some things that are going to happen. Every week we will meet here Wednesday night at 630. And if you are unable to make it, if you want to catch the playback on um, online, that's available. We have a group online, I think. Okay, I don't think Nikki's in it. I can add you to the group if you'd like to be in it. But I think almost every. Okay, okay. Okay, so if you want to be in the group and you're not in the group, we can make that happen, and you can see the playback videos. So if you ever miss a week or you just want to hear it again, don't know, you know, maybe. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to start out talking about different ways to study the Bible. Before we get into the specific study that we're focusing on for this, I just want to kind of give you like the sample platter of ways to enjoy the Bible, ways to study it. So um, I actually have 11 different ways and I didn't number them. So I'm going to I'm going to miscount them. I'm sure I'll be like number six and you'll be like, Katie, we're on 12. <laughs> um, but number one is a character study. A character study is, oh, and in your notes, you don't have to write all these down if you want, if you don't want to. If you just want to jot down some of them that strike you as fascinating or something you want to try, you can do that. Um, But don't feel obligated to write these all down. 
One is character study, and this is when you track the story or the life of a man or woman from the Bible. So Noah, for example, what was Noah known for? What did he do? Did he have faith in God? Was he, was he a good man, or was he evil in God's sight? Did he do something I could learn from, or something, you know, was he faced with a challenge that I'm being faced with that I could say, okay, that was a good way to do it. I'm going to try that, right? That's our character study. Number two is a book study. In a book study, you would study an entire book of the Bible. You could study Esther or Matthew, one of the Gospels, etc. And the goal there is to read the whole book and to see what that story is from that book. Who are the characters? What happened? Why is this relevant? How can I apply it to my life? Number three is a word study. And a word study is where you focus on a specific word from a passage. And I enjoy doing this to develop more understanding from the passages I read, because if you didn't know this, fun fact, the Bible wasn't originally written in English. That struck me, I'm not gonna lie, I was a privileged American and I was like, wasn't it in English first? Where did it start out? What? <laughs> it was written in a foreign language? And so, <laughs> so I just think it's so cool that it found its way to us. It wasn't originally written in our language for us, but it made its way to us. And so it was originally written in Greek and Hebrew, and Greek and Hebrew have their own culture, their own um, subtext, their own idioms, and their own figures of speech that are influenced by their culture. And so it's just like, you know, today in the TikTok world and in social media world, um, we have so much slang and so much abbreviation that we know now, right? And so earlier I said to Penny, BRB, and she goes, it took me the longest time to figure out what that meant, <laughs> right? So we have these slang things that only we understand, and it's kind of like that in their culture too. They have ways of saying things in Hebrew and Greek that don't exactly translate in English. And so there's some things we read in, in, in the text and we go, well, why does he say that? You know, there's one passage, one idiom in Hebrew, this is just a fun fact for you, um, that talks about doing something with your whole heart. And when you look at the original word in, in Greek for heart, it's actually intestine because their original idiom was like, they didn't believe in the heart as like a figure of speech of like, I love you with my whole heart, or I believe in my heart this to be true. They, they believed in their gut, like a gut instinct. And so that, instead of gut, they said intestine. And so you're like, wow, that's fascinating. And you would only find that if you do a word study. If you're like, hey, what's the original word for heart here? It's intestine. <laughs> what? <laughs> and so it leads you on this cool road of discovery that you're like, whoa, there's so much more to this than I thought. That was a fun rabbit trail. Um, number four is a topic study. And a topic study is where you're intentionally researching through the Bible about something you want to learn about. Maybe it's money or healthy relationships or freedom or having a good attitude versus a bad attitude, etc. So it's a topic. Um, the next one is a read through the Bible plan. And this is pretty common, especially on January 1st and through the month of January. A lot of times we make um, our New Year's resolutions to start at the very beginning and you work your way through scripture. Um, the goal is to get a broad view of the whole book. Like, what is the story? Um, the next way to study the Bible, see, I've already lost count. The next way to study the, is scripture memorization. And so this is the practice of writing God's word on our heart. And 
it's a beautiful thing to do when you write God's word on your heart because then it plays through your mind throughout the day, throughout the evening, when you're in times of trouble or stress, it starts to come back to you because they're, they're things that you've placed on your heart. Um, the next one is scripture cross-references. This is a fun study that you can do where you're looking for where else in the Bible that that scripture reoccurs. Um, and w the example I gave yesterday was... Um, prophecies are a good example. So I'll, there's a large section of the Old Testament that are prophetic books, prophetic writings, and a lot of them actually have already come to pass in Jesus or in biblical times. And so some of those prophecies reoccur in the New Testament, and you can see quotes of it. Like in the book of John, um, John quotes Zechariah, I think it's 8.13, and he quotes it, he misquotes it. Like, if you go look at John 8, or, sorry, Zechariah 8.13, it doesn't say what he writes it as. Um, it's kind of like he kind of forgot how the verse went, and he just kind of made up the rest. It's kind of cute, because we do that, too, sometimes. We're like, oh, we start out strong, and we're like, oh, yeah, the Lord loves you. <laughs> um, but what's cool is when you are looking for, okay, this verse starts here, and then he says it again here, but he kind of puts it in his own words. It echoes again in Revelations. And in Revelations, it's written the exact same way that it's written in the book of John, misquoted. And so it leads you to go, did John write both of these books? Hmm. And it actually makes a pretty strong case for the authorship of Revelation. So... Um, scripture cross-references are really fun because you can start to like see the echoes through time of that passage and who else spoke it. Yes. Yeah, it's so good. And when, just another example, when Jesus was approached by the Pharisees and they said to him, um, Jesus, what is the greatest law? Um, and he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what I didn't realize is he was quoting the Old Testament. That's found in Deuteronomy 6. And so, because when we think of the Old Testament, we think there's no love there. <laughs> Are you kidding me? There's a lot of judgment and a lot of death plot twist you'll find out later that's not entirely true but so I thought like there's nothing good in the Old Testament there's no love in there it's all just judgment and wrath and holy cow but but it was there this essence of love was there and so sometimes we think it's just in the New Testament but Jesus actually pulled it from the old through to the new and that's just a beautiful thing okay the next one is writing out verses this, this is a really fun study for kinesthetic learners, people that like to doodle. I love to doodle. Um, so if you, you know, are struggling with maybe reading or um, focusing, doodle it out. You know, Re just take a couple chunks of scripture and start to doodle. Jess is a great doodler, actually. And she paints them, and it's so pretty. It's like, oh, I love it. Um, the next one is Bible meditation. So, Bible meditation is actually this really dope practice that's been around for 3,500 years, and a lot of people think it's just new agey, and it's all psychedelic and woo, and just a little too crazy, but it's actually not. It, it, it is one of the, old, like, it's an old, old, old practice, been around for a long time, um, and 
they say, let's see, it's estimated that one in 10,000 Christians deliberately meditate on God's word as part of their daily spiritual discipline. Um, In fact, I mean, we have strayed so far from it that we think it's very weird. We think it's uh, maybe witchcraft or it's new age or it's yoga or Hindu. Um, And so we've drifted really, really far from it. But um, with Bible meditation, it's kind of like if you've ever baked cookies, had dough in your hands or made bread, when you have to knead that dough and you're rolling it around in your hands, that's kind of what Bible meditation is, but for our brain. It's kind of like we're kneading the word and and we're like kneading it in and we're folding it over and we're wrestling with it and pulling it and twisting it and we're like, okay, do I believe this? Is this true? How does this affect me if this was true? Do I live this way? Do I act this way? Oh, I did not act this way today. (laughs) You know, so like as we read it, we start to like, hmm, we're meditating on it. We're chewing on it. We're kneading it like dough. We're really feeling it out, feeling out every section of that verse. Like, does it, is this, does this apply to me? Does this apply to my mom? Does it apply to my brother? Maybe it's not for me, et cetera. So it's, does that make sense to explain it in that way? Okay. Um, so the next one is devotionals. And um, a devotional is a great way to study the word that gets your heart connected to it. Um, and devotionals are great for daily practical application that you could read a portion of scripture and read a commentary on it, get some feedback from someone else that explains what this means. Um, it's a beautiful, like I said, practical application for our life. And then the last practice that I'm going to mention when it comes to studying our Bible is called uh, Lecto Divino. And it is um, a Latin practice that monks do. I think some of you were here when we practiced it before. Um, but it's kind of like if the audio Bible and ASMR met, had a baby, it would be Lecto Divino. <laughs> so it's, it's like an audio Bible experience, but you're letting it wash over you with intentionality. And so typically a passage or a chapter of scripture, maybe a psalm or... Um, some wisdom literature, something that you really want to soak on, that you want to meditate on, but very deeply. You have it read, or maybe you play your audio Bible over you, but it's read very, very slowly and very simply, very monotone. And through the first reading, you just kind of, you let go of your expectations and you just let it wash over you. And the second time it's read, then you start to notice key things or a word here or there, and you grab a hold of it. And the second time through, you start to meditate on it. You start to need it a little bit. And you're like, okay, what does this word mean to me? Or what is this phrase? Or what does this concept really mean? And then as, it, as the word is continually read over you, so it's the same passage read a number of times over you, over and over and over again, until you just kind of like feel like a sponge and you've just like soaked it up and you're just floating in the scripture. It's really beautiful and I love it. So if you're interested, we might do it sometime. Um, I'm definitely gonna do a video on the group. So if we don't do it here, you can find one there. Okay, so as you can see, there are so many, and that's not even an exhaustive list. There are so many ways that we can study our Bible, um, and some some take more time, some take less time. You know, your a devotional reading could take, um, you know, five, ten minutes a day, whereas some of these studies could take you hours. So wherever you're at on your journey, you could pick one of those and start to run with it. 
Um, there is no single way to study the Bible. There is no none that makes it better than the others. There's no right way to study. Um, the word is interactive and alive, and God wants to meet us where we're at. And so some days I just need a devotional word. I just want my heart to feel tingly and loved by Jesus. And I want peace and joy knowing everything's going to be okay. You know? And then some days I'm like, I want to sit with my Bible for three hours and find out what the heck this means. Or I want to study, um, this person's life. Like they're facing a giant that I'm facing and I need to know how they conquered it. So I'm going to sit and I'm going to figure it out, you know? And so Wherever you're at, you can jump in with one of those or your own version. So none are right. They're all different and beautiful and bring us closer to Jesus. So Martin, Ru Martin Luther wrote that the true goal of all Bible study is Bible meditation. The goal of meditation is always application in a life. And of course, neither meditation nor study can occur without first a primary reading of the text. So fun fact less than 10% of the church worldwide have read the entire Bible. And like I mentioned, guilty. Um, last year was the first time I ever read the whole Bible. And so we are currently living in a very um, disinformed time, right? Like we entered the age of information and we've passed through it and now we're in the age of disinformation where there is no longer absolute truth. Um, we live where things are politically correct or not spoken about at all. Um, truth is subjective and everyone gets to decide what his or her truth is. That's not my truth. And so it is um, almost offensive to talk about the Bible as an absolute truth anymore. And well, I, maybe I'll offend you and that's just how it's going to be if that's true. But the Bible is the authoritative word of God and it is absolute truth and it is so relevant for us. It is a life force. It is water for our soul. And, um, while less than 10% have ever read the Bible, um, it is the easiest thing to correct because it just starts with reading it, right? All we have to do is open it up and check it out. And the value of Bible reading is to gain a broad, overarching understanding of Scripture. There really is a storyline that goes from Genesis to Revelation, and it's God's plan of redemption for man. It's God reaching towards man, saying, I want a relationship with you. From start to finish, every book points to Jesus, and then Jesus comes, and then Jesus, it points to him coming back. And so in every book, it's pointing to him saying, I want you, and I want to love you forever. And then as we read, we get to say, okay, I think I'm going to let you. Okay, I'm going to love you back. Okay, I'm going to try to look more like you. Okay, let's do this. So um, another fun fact is that the entire Bible can be read aloud in less than 100 hours. So when we kind of think about it that, it's like, wait a minute, that only takes 100 hours to read? <laughs> Doesn't feel like it would. <laughs> but it's true. It only takes about 100 hours. If you're a slow reader, 100 hours. If you read quickly, about 72. So it can, it can be done. You could do like a marathon and be like, wah, <laughs> work. It's like a workout for your brain. Um, yeah, so the marvelous value of reading is in its utility and accessibility. Um, it is accessible virtually anywhere. Like because of our technological advancements, we can have it on our phone in a second. Um, we could pop it in our ears. We could watch it. We could go to the theater and watch it performed now. Like we could have it in any 
way we want it now. And that is, that is new to our generation. Um, there is a story here about how um, years ago, back uh, in the Reformation, the Scottish citizens would save up an entire month's wage just to buy one freshly translated page of the Bible in English. And that kind of blew my mind of like, okay, I'm not going to lie. I got, I got this Bible at a yard sale for 10 cents. <laughs> I'm not opposed to spending money on a Bible. It just, when I saw it, I was like, well, I have to have it. It's only 10 cents, you know? But when I read, they saved a whole month's wage for one page. That's like, to, like today, that'd be thousands of dollars for one page. Would I be willing to pay thousands of dollars for a page? Maybe a hundred verses. And what do you, what do you know? Like it could be from Exodus or Deuteronomy or Leviticus, God forbid. <laughs> That's <laughs> where all the laws are, so it's not enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So actually, yeah, um, it was definitely taught in different denominations that only certain people could have a revelation of God, that maybe only a priest or a pastor or um, a monk, huh? a bishop, right? There were different communities, different streams of belief that thought it wasn't for the common man. Um, and that I think my personal opinion on it, this is just Katie, this is not gospel. My personal opinion is that it, it comes down to, to pride and, and a fear of, of people, right? Like I think those people wanted to control them and they thought the only way I can control these people and make sure I have their obedience is if they have to come to me. If they have to come through me, then I have control over them, then I can handle this. Yep. Yes. Absolute power absolutely corrupts. So... Um, in the Jewish tradition, though, the faithful were taught that one should never say he or she was simply reading the Bible or the Torah. The proper statement that they believed was that you should say you're studying the Bible or the Torah. And the Torah is just another word for the first five books of the Bible. And the reason for this is that rabbis always felt that the proper attitude to address scripture was with a genuine heart um, that it couldn't just be looked at. It couldn't just like a cursory glance of like, hmm, okay. But it was to be handled with such care and respect and diligence um, that sincere reflection should be taking place every time you come to the scriptures. And so um, the Jewish tradition obviously differs very significantly from the modern Christian church, where our tradition is that we study both in a broad sense and in a deep, um, studious way. <laughs> Um, but we do, we encourage both ways. And the inductive Bible study that we are going to use for the next couple weeks um, is, is this um, conglomerate. It's this grouping of several different ways to study the Bible that is going to encourage both a broad picture studying and an in-depth studying. So that's what we're going to do. Woohoo! Okay, so we're going to talk about common Bible study mistakes. Wah, wah, wah. What's fun is we're all guilty of it, so we can all commiserate together. <laughs> um, okay, so there it is. So as students of the Bible, it's important for us to first recognize what common mistakes exist in our approach to Scripture before we start to interpret the Scripture, right? 
Um, and I'm going to break it up into three categories, which you can find in your notes. Okay, so um, number one is failure to study the Bible. That one's pretty simple. Um, often we misquote, misinterpret it because we haven't read it, right? And, and so it can, <laughs> we see a post on Facebook or a cute little thing on Pinterest or Twitter or um, wherever you are. What's the other one? Instagram. <laughs> we see a cute post and they misquote the scripture and we just go, oh, okay, that's it. That's the verse. And so we hold fast to that verse and it was it was totally taken out of context or totally misquoted, written wrong. And then we just, we start quoting it that way and we never even bothered to look or fact check, right? Because we're in the age of disinformation. So if it's on, if it's on Facebook, it must be true. Um, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you laughed. So... <laughs> Uh, number one is failure to study the Bible, which again, this is so easy to correct. Um, we just read it, right? Number two is failure to study the Bible in context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> okay, so in your notes, you'll see that there are two subsections to context. They are going to be literary context. And the second one is historical context. So failure to read the Bible in context, uh, we first need to define in context. Like what does it mean to be in context? And context can be understood in two different ways, which are literary context and historical context. Literary context involves reading the text in the context that it was written in. Um, so for example, the Bible contains six basic genres and numerous more subgenres and literary forms. So some of these basic genres found in the Bible um, include wisdom literature, poetry, narrative, letters, parables, apocalyptic visions, etc. Um, and so this presents um, an interesting um, journey in interpreting the scripture because we have to look at the book of the Bible in the way that it was written. Um, so a secular example is this line from a poem by author Arthur O'Shaughnessy's Ode. He says, with wonderful deathless ditties, we build up the world's greatest cities and out of a fabulous story, we fashion an empire's glory. So this is a poem and Poems are symbolic, they're figurative, they use these figures of speech that are flowery and pretty, and they're not literal, right? But if we took this literally, that he is going to sing a song and he's going to build a city by the power of song, he just, oh, and thus appears the city, like... No, that is ridiculous. Or if he were to tell a story and by the sheer ability of storytelling, the, the entire empire was crafted. I mean, it sounds like a magical movie. Like I'd watch that. Disney, come get that idea. But that's not literal, right? He didn't write it to be literally understood. He wrote it to be figurative. And he's trying to imply that an individual can affect a nation with their words, that our words have power. And so we have to realize, okay, he didn't mean it for me to take it literally. And it's like this with scripture. There are times where things are not meant to be taken literally, like in the Psalms. Um, Psalms is so poetic and it's beautifully written, but it talks about like sending hornets and the, the chariots of flames and, you know, things like this. And if we read it literally, it would sound like your car's on fire, <laughs> a chariot of flames, what? <laughs> but it's meant to be taken a certain way. 
and vice versa, if we take some of the commands of scripture that are meant to be taken literally and we say, pish posh, that's just a figure of speech, that's not for me, I don't have to obey that, we find ourselves in trouble again, right? So first we have to identify what type of literature the book we're studying is. Okay. Um, literary context also involves reading a book in its context or reading a passage in its context. Um, for example, um, the majority of the New Testament are letters written by Paul to specific places, to specific churches. Um, and often we'll pull out a verse here or there that is very encouraging and very empowering um, and we'll wear it like a badge and that's okay. But if we don't understand the context of it, we are um, very able to misinterpret what was meant by that. It's just like, um, so I don't know anyone else, this might just be a quirky thing, but I like letter writing. I like sending cards, especially because COVID. And um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw the memes during COVID about shopping online and your package arrives and it feels like Christmas. I mean, totally me, except I hate spending money. So I decided to start letter writing. And so when the cards came in the mail, I was like winning. I didn't have to spend anything but like 25 cents on a stamp. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> so, I know, it's like 35, I don't know, I buy, I buy a book. <laughs> I'm living in 1920, y'all. <laughs> Back when stamps are 25 cents, oh, that's sad. <laughs> that is crazy, I didn't realize that. Oh my gosh, well. <laughs> it's gone up. <laughs> Send out half a letter. <laughs> I'll just hand deliver it. <laughs> That's even better because then someone shows up at your house and they have a present. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no. That's so funny. But so anyways, because I like to write letters, I like to write notes and cards. And, and if someone were to take one of the phrases I wrote in there and pull it out and use it against me and how I'm an awful person and blah, 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 this and blah, 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 that, and be like, read this, she wrote this. I'd be like, wait, no, I didn't. Wait, okay, I wrote that, but I didn't mean that. <laughs> you know, like you gotta read it in context or what have you. And so that can happen often with the Bible. Sometimes people will pull things out of context and be like, look at that, God's not real. Or look at that, he's a bad guy. Or look at that, you're going to hell. And that is dangerous. That is so not cool. So we want to strive not to do that. Um, okay, and number two is historical context. Historical context is equally important because it involves understanding who the author is, who he wrote to, and why he wrote to them. Um, because each book of the Bible was written by a different person. Uh, it's inspired by the Lord. Um, the Spirit of the Lord inspired each person to write it. And we can see that by the way they all overlap so significantly. Um, things line up so perfectly that it wouldn't be possible without the Lord's Spirit leading dozens and dozens of humans that are born to air. So understanding who the individual author is, at what time period they were alive, and who is the ruler at that time. Because if we can understand the nation they live in, um, you know, like, okay, say for example, if 2020 was a section of the Bible, and you were reading about how they were all wearing masks, you would, you'd be like, oh, it's a cultural thing. Okay, so the American culture just wears masks. Okay, 
Okay, cool. But what they don't realize is historical context. We had a pandemic. There was a virus in the air. And so we had to wear a mask. It's just like that with, with the Bible. There's things that they do that we just go, oh, so that's just what they did in the first century. Okay, interesting, weird, okay. And we just continue on. But if we consider what was going on in that time period, it begins to explain to us, whoa, wait a minute, they were killing Christians. They had to hide. They had to live a certain way. They couldn't do X, Y, or Z. So it's not that they thought it was wrong to do this, but they were going to die if they did. You know, and so it starts to just change the way we read it. And we go, oh, I would do the same thing. And then we can start to think, okay, so if they did that because of that, if I were in that situation, this is one way I could handle it. And we start to have application from it. So it is important for us to understand when we come to the Bible that the the Bible, each book was written to a certain people group or a certain church or a certain nation or location um, at a certain time. It wasn't originally written to um, Katie Beard in the 2021 era, right? Like if I read every book, like it was written from Paul, dear Katie, I'm writing to you today. You know, it would, it would read very different, but it wasn't quite written to us, but it was written for us. Like it was written that we would understand who God is and who he calls us to be, that we'd understand his purposes and his plans and how timeless they are. So it's written for us, just not to us. Like the letter wasn't signed. Dear Penny, I love you. <laughs> okay. Okay, it was. <laughs> Does that make sense though when I say that? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 Historical things that were going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like, you know, I mean, when you're reading things like I have a look at Josephus. <gasps> I, lo- oh, I haven't read that, but I've heard so much about it. Sorry, I just geeked out hard. <laughs> um, I mean, it's away now, but when I was reading it, comparing it with the Bible. Yeah. Today, um, it says this ruling Herod, you know, mm-hmm. blah, 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 and then I would look at Josephus and mm-hmm. there he was. Mm-hmm. And, and he was a Jew. He was not a Christian. Mm-hmm. So he mm-hmm. was, Yeah, so the fact he saw things and said things. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I want to read that book so bad. I'm going to try real hard not to be too much of a geek for y'all, but no promises. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm glad someone does. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay. So, and then the last thing, our last failure is, where are you? Oh, okay. It's failure to recognize our assumptions and prejudices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the third mistake we tend to make is that we have too narrow an approach to scripture. Um, and that basically means that we bring our own baggage to the scripture when we come, right? We come with maybe this background belief that um, God only loves me if I do good things. And so every time we read the scripture, we we think, well, I can never do that. So I'm never going to be good enough. He's never going to love me. Or we might read something and go, see, there it is. That, that confirms my belief, you know, or we might bring, um, our parents' belief system with us and, you know, the things they taught us and the things they told us. Um, and so we come with these, um, filters on these lenses, kind of like sunglasses, you know, you got your shades on and your shades are changing the way you view things. And so we have to just be aware of it at first 
And secondly, from that, from, from an awareness, we want to do our best to take off as many of those shades, as many of those filters as we can, so that we can see the Bible as it was created to be seen. Um, so I want to give you an example of this. It's just a cute illustration. So <laughs> I have a picture of an elephant. Can you see him? He's pretty cute. I was coloring it the other day, and I was like, man, I color worse than a four-year-old. I was like, that's pretty pathetic. That's okay. So there's this poem that is a Hindu fable, and it's called The Blind Men and the Elephant. Okay, ready? You ready for this? It's pretty cute. It was six men of Indistan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl. God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. He's a wall. The second, feeling a tusk, cried, ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear. The wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said, even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can, the marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indistan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceedingly stiff and strong. Though each was partly in the right, all were in the wrong. So often theological wars, the disputants I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prayed about the elephant not one of them has seen. So each of them came to the elephant, and they touched a different part of him, and they were all blind. And so when they touched it, they thought, Okay, the piece that I have gripped encompasses the whole. I have found it all. I know it all by this one thing that I have learned. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have all met someone, heard something, read something, or been, there. or been there. Amen. And so on the journey, it's important for us to recognize that there is a lot more than we can see, touch, or feel. God is way bigger than we can comprehend. And we actually need each other. Because imagine if these guys, instead of arguing, would have said, what if it was so big, none of us grasped the whole, but each of us got a significant piece, and together we could paint the whole picture. Okay. So we went over the three common mistakes that we make when we study the Bible. We now want to look at how we avoid making these mistakes. While there is no single answer to this question, the inductive Bible study approach helps us do our best. Um, it's one of the, it, it employs certain, uh, let me find it, where am I at? Sorry, my notes are all over. Oh, there it is, okay. Um, okay, so the inductive Bible study is not the end-all be-all. It is a method, not the method. 
So while I'm going to show you some things from the method that can help break down prejudices and assumptions and failure to understand the context, which by the way, it may sound a little scary when I was talking about the history and the literary stuff, and you might be like, I didn't know I was going to college. Stop it. <laughs> We're going to break it down super simple and super easy, and I'm going to show you some resources that you literally just like click it and it tells you the answer. And so you just go, aha, this is so nice. <laughs> um, so it's much less intimidating than it might sound. At least I hope I inspire you that it's not so intimidating. Um, but with these three steps that we're going to learn in the next three weeks, it'll help us get further faster with our studying um, in areas that maybe we were like, I'm stuck. I'm looking at it and I have no idea what I'm reading. Like, what is this? So I'm going to give you some handy tools to look at it and go, okay, wait, I can do this. I got my chisel. I got my axe. I got my shovel. Let's go digging. <laughs> <laughs> there it is pickaxe I think that's probably what I meant I was picturing the dwarves in my head and so hi-ho hi-ho it's off to work we go <laughs> welcome to class um, okay so what is the inductive study in your notes in simple terms the inductive study is broken up into three groups three steps my bad um, number one is observation. And in observation mode, in that step, we let the text speak for itself. So we're going to spend a class per each of these to really go in depth and understand it. Um, but observation, you literally just read it. You do this survey method where you read the whole book in one sitting. We're going to do a really, really small book, so you don't have to worry about <gasps> the whole book in one sitting. Are you kidding? Oh, no, <laughs> no, that that's hard. That hurts. So, yeah. OK, Genesis took five hours to read in one sitting. I was like, my eyes were going cross eyed. Um, we're not going to do that. I won't do that to you. If you want to, you're welcome to. <laughs> I will not make you. Uh, so sorry. So observation is a survey method. It's where you literally just look at the text. So we're going to read it and we're going to read it and we're going to read it and we're going to read it again. <laughs> And we're just going to look at it and go, what does it say? What does it even say? Who is talking? What did he say? That's it. So it's super simple. Um, what might be difficult in that step is jumping to conclusions. Because often we read it and we go, okay, I know what it means. Oh, okay, I got it. And we like walk away and we're like, I totally got it. <laughs> and so uh, the hardest thing in observation is not to do that. <laughs> okay, number two, the second step is interpretation. An interpretation is asking the question, what does this mean to the original author or the original reader? So it's, why did he write this book? Um, what is the purpose of it? What's, what's the problem that that nation or that people or that person is experiencing that made the author write it? Right? Like when I sit down to write a letter, I have a reason for it. I don't just sit down writing to an ambiguous recipient. I don't like, it's not like I sit down and go, I don't know who this is for. Do, 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 do. You know, like I have a person I'm writing to when I sit down to write a letter. I have a friend and I know that they're discouraged and I want them to feel better. And so the things I write, I write because they're hurt. I write because they, I think they need to hear it. Or um, my heart is filled with compassion and so I move to write for them. And so we're going to look at, we're going to look at a letter actually and we're going to go why did he write this like who did he write it to and why did it why did he have to write the letter why was the person hurting why was the person you know what was going on 
Okay, so that's interpretation. And so it's entirely about the original audience. It's not about us yet. It's about that time period, that culture, and understanding what's happening. And then the last step that we, we are maybe most common or familiar with is application. And asking, what does this mean for us today? So the goal is to look at the text, to find out what it's saying, to understand um, the original intent of the author and the original response of the reader and to pull from it timeless truths. Like, okay, maybe I'm not a Middle Eastern woman living in first century Palestine, but I still have girl problems just like she had, right? Like, I'm sure her cramps hurt just as bad as mine do. Okay, sorry, Alex. <laughs> you know, and so there's, there's connection, even though we're thousands of years apart in different cultures and different languages, we still are human and we still feel the same things. Like our emotional response and our emotional connection is on the same level it was then. And so the things they went through might not be the same for us today, but you know, may, maybe their, their horse dies. For us, our car breaks down, right? Like they, they can't go to the market because their horse is in a ditch or their donkey's in a well. And mm. <laughs> sounds like Lassie in a well. I know, I'm sorry. I'm coming up with these illustrations real quick on the fly. But, you know, for, th <laughs> for them, they might have that issue. And for us, we're like, <laughs> my donkey is fine. <laughs> You know, or maybe we're like, shoot, I wish I had a donkey. But <laughs> but for us, like, our car breaks down. We run out of gas, or it's in the garage, or our brother borrows it and crashes it, and we're like, ugh. And so they go, ugh, in the same way we go, ugh. And so even though our donkey is fine, <laughs> we can relate to them, Right. And so that's the goal, is to pull a timeless truth out of the text from where they are and connect it through thousands of years and, and jump vast cultural differences to take hold of it and go, okay, this might not be written directly to me, but this applies and I can take something meaty out of this and I can use it. So that is the goal of our Bible study, is to apply it to our lives. Again, that is like our, our crowning excitement goal is to be transformed by it that we would learn from it, we would peer into it, we would love it, but we would go, man, there is something here that I need in my life, and I realize I can't live without this. Like, wow, I this is going to help me live and not die tomorrow, um, you know? So, any guesses on what book we're going to study before I give it away? Ruth. Eh, wrong. Eh, wrong. Smaller. Think smaller smaller new smaller a little bit smaller it was between Titus and this book no <laughs> she's over here giving away the answers Philemon we are going to study Philemon do you even know that was a book of the Bible because when I studied it I was like I'm not kidding, like, real talk, y'all, like, let's be serious, okay? So, it's only one. It's, like, 16 verses. How glorious is that, okay? So, when I said, like, we're going to read it and read it and read it, it's because it's 16 verses, y'all. <laughs> like, it's going to take 10 minutes to read. <laughs> so, we're going to practice doing observation with Philemon. We're going to practice interpreting, figuring out who is the author of Philemon. Was Philemon the author? Who was the recipient? 
was Philemon the recipient? We don't really know, but we're going to find out next week. <laughs> so Philemon will be great. Huh? What? Of course, you're more than welcome. Just don't come with all the answers, okay, Miss Penny? <laughs> yeah, she's my she's a teacher's pet. Look her in the front row. I love it. <laughs> hey, I really like apples. They're a little bit high in carbs, so strawberries are better. But <laughs> no, I can't have chocolate. Thank you. I can have dark free sugar chocolate. Dark dark free. <laughs> Oh, the words are twisting in my head. Sugar-free dark chocolate. <laughs> I've been on the diet too long. Quick, get her chocolate. Okay. Whew. Okay. One of the things you guys should realize, these, these ones know it because they've been with me long enough, but typically class time is not super serious and I make a little bit of a fool of myself the whole time. So, okay, great. Glad you feel that way. <laughs> so, any questions on inductive stuff, on what to expect, any... Anything to add, even? <laughs> Wait, is that a verse? Where is it at? I don't Because I'll be honest, I've never heard that verse. I mean, I probably have because I just had to read the whole Bible, but I don't remember that verse. Your sin shall find ye out. That's, yeah, that's scary. Don't be scared straight as a kid. So... <laughs> Did you picture God with curler in his hair? <laughs> Looking out there, I see you. Oh, yes. Yes. Oof, man. So, in your and you don't you don't have to answer if this is too personal, but you're just going to be my example right now. Do you, did you find that growing up that concept filtered the way you came to scripture? Did it change the way you read the Bible or felt God's interaction with you? Mhm. Mhm. Hmm. See, see. Listen, there's no, there's there's no bad book of the Bible. I'm just fooling, but <laughs> some definitely you drag your heels through. Yeah, I will say though, um, I don't intend to do any teaching on Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy sounds like the least exciting book ever, but it's cool. Um, I could geek out for a long time on Deuteronomy. I was shocked when we had to study it that it is nothing like we think it is. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah. Does Would you guys be super turned off if I told you random fun facts about the Bible, or is that cool? No, cool. cool? Okay, I got two fun facts for you. One on begats and one on the crazy rules in Deuteronomy, because we're done. We're done a little early, and so I'll let you go after this. But in Deuteronomy, there's this one rule that the Lord gives them about putting walls on their roof or like putting things on their roof. And like when I read it, I was like, that's weird. What's that for? And in my head, in Pennsylvania winter, I'm thinking maybe that breaks the snow down or something, you know, as it falls off the roof. It's the Middle East. They don't have snow, first of all. Second of all, these people, they lived on their roof because it got so hot inside because their kitchens were inside. So they'd be cooking in there and it'd get too hot. So they'd go up on the roof where they could get some fresh air. And people were complete idiots and they'd fall off the roof and die. They'd be up there having a house party, a roof party, and they'd just be like, whoop, there goes Gran. <laughs> and so God was like, put a wall on your roof. <laughs> and I was like, that's so smart. <laughs> less dead people, less bodies. 
Okay, and then the second one in the begats. This is this is just kind of like kooky cool. And you're into prophecy, so you'll get this too. You, I think you as well. But um, I think it's in the Matthew um, genealogy of Christ. There are three triads of seven, and it, it like breaks at seven. And because seven is the number of totality and perfection, like symbolized in. Uh, oh, I forget the word for it. But in, in Hebrew understanding of numbers, seven equals totality or completeness. And there's three triads of it. And three, it's by the witness of two or three that a, a message is confirmed. So the fact that three times there are seven generational things, um, it points to Christ. And so it's the genealogy of Christ by the numbers, not just by, okay, this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, but it's the profoundness of even the numbers match to the message. And it's like, I did not sit there to count. I don't know who did, who went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, pause. <laughs> oh, you know, so I'm like, thank God someone smarter than I did re read that and had the wisdom to share it. But so there's like all these really cool nuggets that are like, tucked in there and the more we dig the more we find and the more we go oh god's cool oh they're so they're so juicy so okay let me pray for you and you can snack and chill and head home and nap and stuff so jesus thank you so much that we have this great joy of coming close to you god thank you that you call us your children and that your love is towards us God, I thank you that you gave us your word that is the authority on life and death and every minute between. God, that your word is a lamp unto our feet, that it's a light unto our path, that you give us the guidance we need, you illuminate the way for us to walk in. God, I thank you that um, you've given it to us to read in this season and to learn from and to grow in and um, to see you in and to see who you created us to be through the reading of it. God, thank you that there are all these treasures in there. And I thank you that we get to laugh and have joy about it, God, that you are not such a serious ho-hum diddly-do God, but you laugh and you dance and you sing. You are a very lively God, and I thank you for that. I thank you that we get to be um, children that we get to have a childlike wonder in your presence, that you get to be God and we don't have to be, that you're in control and we don't have to be, that we just get to rest at your feet and call you Abba, our daddy. And so we thank you for that joy, that privilege, that comfort of being secure in your presence now. So I pray for these dear ones. I pray for these beautiful souls listening and that are here with me. And I pray, God, that you administer to their hearts um, a measure of peace and truth, God, that they would know that you are longing for them, that you are pursuing them, and that you're never going to stop, that you will never forsake them, that you'll never turn away from them. So Father, I pray that your word would become really rich to them in this season, that they would find so much in it that gives them hope and gives them meaning. So Father, would you speak to them and would you be with them as we go from this place? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, you're dismissed. Thank you again for coming.